0: Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm Dave, and we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things.
1: Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week, it's episode 47. This week, we're going to talk nutrition and gut health. What an important piece of any endurance athlete, or really anybody who's living and has two legs, or doesn't even have two legs, that's living on this planet. We're talking to Dina Griffin today. She's the CFO, the Chief Fueling Officer at thenutritionmechanic.com. If you haven't been to the website, it is a wealth of knowledge, and I am super, super stoked to talk to her today. Now, Dina is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and sports dietitian. Outside of knowing her shit, Dina knows her stuff. Dina also walks the talk. Uh, Dina has completed the Leadville 100, Comrades Ultra Marathon, Ironman Coeur d'Alene, and the Boston Marathon. I can't wait to talk about gut health with, health with Dina. Dina, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. Thank you
2: so much, Dave and Joe. I'm, I'm really honored to be here with both of you and love, love your show. So thanks for all you guys do.
0: Yeah, Dina, thanks for being on. You know, I think we're long overdue 47 episodes without talking about probably the most significant, important part. What it means to to live an extraordinary life is about nutrition. And we we do a lot of things every day. Of course, we all talk about Mm -hmm. sleep and actually next week we'll have a sleep doctor on with us. Um, But nutrition is probably because it's sort of like very both personal as much as it is, you know, systemic in terms of we need to eat all the time right um it's it's something that we may just sometimes take for granted so but before we jump into like what should i eat for an ultra marathon maybe you could give us a little bit of your journey look you're an ultra endurance athlete yourself but how did the nutrition thing come to fore for you like why did you pick it and how did that become important and then how you've gotten yourself to this place
2: Thank you for asking that. The background stories are always fun. Um, I mean, I wasn't an athlete growing up. I was a bookworm, then turned more rebellious, got into punk rock music and, <laughs> and so forth, and then uh, lived in the Midwest. I'm in Colorado now. But um, you know, my first career was really in software and IT. Uh, But I got burned out pretty quickly working with computers and software and programming and so forth. So um, in that whole time, though, I moved to Colorado uh, and I started to get into running right before that point just because I was not living the most healthful life, you know, from the Midwest. I grew up on uh, mac and cheese and spam and like, you know, a lot of foods that weren't um, maybe in our ideal category for health and longevity. Um, nonetheless, started getting into running, and marathon was was my first entry into running. Um, I'll try to make this short, but there's two parts to the story. One is uh, shortly before my move to Colorado, which was a job change, my, my dad had been diagnosed with a terminal cancer. Yeah. Um, in that process, though, he changed his own nutrition. So I was still in IT at the time, but I saw his own prognosis, you know, that he would only live three or four years extended by double that time his doctors wow. had told him mm-hmm. simply, I, I really believe, although I'm bias now, that a large part of that was um, changing his behaviors and his lifestyle and his eating habits. So that was my first light bulb, like, wow, this nutrition stuff and how we eat, it really hit home. And then the other part of this story is just my own running journey, uh, trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Um I was working with a coach doing my thing. And, and uh, in this race, I was trying to qualify, I actually had terrible GI distress. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, it was over fueling, but I didn't know that at the Mm -hmm. time. And there weren't a whole lot of resources. This is, is back quite a while ago now, I won't name Exactly when, but it's quite a while ago. uh, And it's like, oh, geez, nutrition for our daily life and health. And then for our sport, like, what is this, this whole sports Mm -hmm. nutrition thing? And maybe the magazines aren't telling me everything I need to know. Um, So making the long story longer, I decided to quit my IT job, software consulting job, and go back to school for nutrition, become a registered dietitian, and I found my way to sport dietetics because I then here in Colorado just fell in love with um, the idea of being more active and fueling athletes to where they can reach their own goals uh, with minimal issues or just trying to help others, you know, get to their whatever their finish lines um, are and be nutritionally supportive of that endeavor. Uh, so that's where I've been in this space now for the last 14, 15 years is more uh, the nutrition health component, but specifically more the endurance uh, nutrition and supporting athletes, endurance athletes of all types.
1: When I find that interesting, Dina, you know, is because you know I think the three of us come from an age where you know we didn't have the internet. And we didn't have all this really easy, you know, free-flowing information that was coming in. We were looking at magazines in order to figure out how to train for uh, a half marathon or whatever, whatever that was. And when we end up hearing about these races, or it was just so interesting, and it was it was really hard to find information. But but back then as well too, you you end up coming up with you know the information that you find, also because you're kind of curious, you know. And 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 so there were two instances there. You know what I heard, Dina was number one you know, there was, illness, there was an illness with your father. And of course, a lot of the time we can end up, you know, abusing our body with the fuels that we take in when everything is going well. But when something's not going well, you know, then becomes triply important and end up taking in the nutrients and the balances with that that, that are necessary for, for flourishment. But then as well, too, you've also noticed that you know, in endurance sport, just the important piece, because you artificially, you don't need to go and run a marathon. We sign up to do this. We pay a lot of money to do this, which is kind of crazy. And we end up going and depleting ourselves for quite a long period of time to then see what happens. Because when you end up going along that fine, 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 fine line a long ways, you become very desperate of the, a lot of the nutrients that you bring in. And, and needless, it sounded like, you know, you, you, you maybe failed or you, you really struggled at first. Did that really spark something in your mind that you thought, you know, there is something here that I really am very curious about?
2: Sure, Dave. I mean, I think that's where I, I really got in touch with the notion of the individualization piece that the general recommendations that actually are still quite uh, common, you know, but that that wasn't working for me to just follow the general recommendations. And so I was missing something that was unique to me, or maybe there was some misinterpretation or I, the application of what I was seeing was not right, um, or perhaps there was something else. So that's what sparked this passion for really um, you know fueling the individual from that health level and then the performance level and then realizing there's so many layers as as you have talked about before and your and even just looking at the kinds of um guests that you've had right there's so many different stories and struggles whether that's the uh, performance side or the health and nutrition side or other aspects of how the body is working or maybe even mind body connections. So yeah, they're, they're definitely from my experience that whole light bulb, you know, turned on and got really bright.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, what's interesting Dina is that, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, this, us, we're a system, right? You know, and, but we don't think that way every day, but maybe having worked in IT, working on inputs and outputs in systems, when you switched over to the human system, you realize that those inputs would have an effect on the outputs and that, but on a regular daily basis, we don't think that way, right? We don't connect what we're eating with what outcomes are gonna get created. But in effect, if we were writing a program, we would very much think about the data in, is the data out, right? And so you would really wanna clean that data before you put crummy data in and ran some algorithm and got a bad answer, you'd be like, oh, I better fix that. So do you think that that affected a little bit of the way that you view sort of the holistic interpretation of nutrition to system to output?
2: I love that. Actually, I hadn't thought of it quite that way. So thank you for framing it uh, in such a way. It is fascinating To think about the computer systems and the programming that i think as as we know uh there's so many nuances though with the human body Mm -hmm. and it's pretty complex and unfortunately we don't always get the you know the red x showing up glaring in our face that we can head down a path and think that we're okay eating okay, feeling the body okay, and then there is an injury or some other illness or some other occurrence that then, uh, you know, it might be a little too late to to kind of reprogram. We've got to heal and then start over. So some different iterations, but, but certainly that systems and number of systems in the body, thinking of the intricacy that that does align a bit with how computers and, and tech world works.
0: Yeah. so Maybe we could start with um, maybe give some of the basics, if you wouldn't mind to to the listeners, you know, everything a little bit from, you know, carbohydrates, fat, protein, to, you know, calories, to energy sources, to like what happens to the body when they adjust, what would you say is, an entry level discussion, if you could just start us there.
2: Oh boy, that's a that's a big one. Geez. <laughs> I mean our well our th-
0: no, no
1: pressure, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> let me get my nutrition one oh one resource out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well I can start and then maybe you you guide me where, where you'd like to go. Uh, you know, in our foods, no matter what style of eating pattern, if we just say like a mixed diet or I don't even care for the word diet, so maybe a mixed nutrition pattern. Uh, we've got proteins, carbohydrates, and fats as our main three macronutrients. And so each of those have different roles in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, protein is, I think, kind of like this foundational macronutrient for us active, athletic, ultra athletes. It's it's something where... Um, It's such a crucial role in, you know, maintenance of muscle, tissue repair of muscle, um, roles in hormone regulation and in bone health and immunity, that it's got to be there, obviously. Um, But there's no exact when we talk about all three of these macronutrients. And if you were to pin me down, like, well, how much exactly should we be eating? Mm -hmm. That's where this individual piece has to come in. But Proteins in general will be anything from your seafood fish to your poultry your wild game, beef, eggs, some dairy foods, and then our plant proteins, which we have so many, uh, nuts and seeds, legumes, lentils, um, tofu, and so forth. So a lot of options for proteins. And then carbohydrates, we've got, you know, kind of thinking of fruits veg, uh, your grains, whole grains. And then, you know, our extras can fall into the carbohydrates, meaning um, sugars, right? So maybe that's added sugar, for example. Uh, And then fats. So I should just add to the carbohydrate piece. That's typically the um, source of energy that athletes will have in a Um, higher intake of. Uh, But again, the amount, you know, it kind of depends on the kind of athlete, what kind of training we're doing, what we're working on health-wise. And then third uh, macro are fats. And I think at least from my era, which, you know, back in the seventies, eighties, fat was a no-no and we were trying to be fat free and fat phobic. (laughs) Um, And not eat the fat. And so a lot has changed in that realm. But so fats would be, again, uh, an important role in hormone balance, uh, important for supporting various tissues in the body. Um, We don't need to be fat free. Um, So thinking of kinds of foods with fats would be things like avocado, your nuts and seeds, coconut, Uh, for people who do butter, that kind of thing, we have olives and olive oil. So there's just this whole array of different foods that we can, you know, nudge into these categories. But when it comes to looking at our needs as athletes or active people, um, again, there's not a certain right, you know, wrong or right. It's really figuring out that individual need. Um, and just trying to optimize and periodize those nutrients so that we perform to our best, recover to our best and live our most healthful life that we're able
1: to. Yes, so, so Dina, when it comes to the macronutrients and you know, yeah, and of course we can get all into the micronutrients later on, but, but let's stick with the big three, the, you know, the carbohydrates, the proteins and the fats. You know, I it, it's a conversation you have with friends who are all You know, my a lot of my friends are distance runners, and everybody feels that they're nailing it, that they have the right answer, and their answer is very different than the next guy. And so, you know, like for me, anecdotally, I just, you know, over the years, I take in more of this and less of this, and how does this feel, and how's my performance here? And I think that most people kind of do that where they play and they pay attention to how they're feeling and how they're performing, and is there brain fog? Is there your good re- ample recovery time. How much carbohydrates are you taking per day? What kind of carbohydrates are you taking? Is there any one? M- maybe is is there is there blood work that you can be doing with your doctor, your di- your your dietitian? Is there any any other way outside of? you know, test and see how it goes and, and making up a, a, a system for yourself. Is there any other methods that, that 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 one can kind of find when it comes to, oh hey, maybe I need to be in, taking in more plant based proteins or, or 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 more, you know, heavy grains for carbohydrates. Any 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 hints that way?
2: And you're talking about to, to just ensuring that you're meeting your needs and you bet. yeah. You bet. So uh, I mean what you mentioned in terms of like, how are you feeling? That is something really important to keep tabs on. Um, Cause I think a lot of us think that we feel okay. And then if we use some other metrics, you know getting into nerdy numbers and things or HRV things like this, like, oh no. Actually, I, I'm forcing it a little bit. <laughs> My body needs mm-hmm. a little bit more TLC. Um, so that's not something I like to neglect is actually asking. So how are you feeling today? And after this big, you know, 100 mile day, what what's going on? Or what's how are you recovering two days later, or a week later? But blood work is huge. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Dave, because that's something I'm a big fan of is routine or regular blood work monitoring and making sure we have some athlete-specific markers, particularly for our plant-based athletes or plant-focused athletes um, with high mileage or even just our ultra athletes putting in a ton of training load, uh, you know, a ton of training demands on the body is looking at certain markers to see uh, trying to catch anything before it happens, mm. deficit-wise. So that could be iron or B12 or inflammation markers. But that's really an inexpensive way to keep tabs on our own health, whether or not someone like me is involved, but it's data that, you know, it's it's a snapshot, sort of, depending on the marker. Some can be reflective of the last couple months. Um, but that's a, an inexpensive way to get some objective indicator of what's going on. Um, Of course, we have some other physiology testing we can do, putting you on a metabolic cart. I don't know if either of you have done that recently. It'd be fascinating. If you come to Colorado, look me up. Um, (laughs) Looking at how we use our fuel sources during running.
0: Oh, yeah, I did. Did
2: you? Okay. Yeah, that's some testing that I do. And It's very insightful and can be helpful for even planning events, race nutrition wise or training wise. Um, There are some other tests that I like to do, but, you know, I would say blood work would be in the top. Um, I mean, we can keep food logs and put stuff into apps and trackers. It's just that those tend to not be very athlete specific yet. And it's, yeah. So I find some issues, you know, it's, it's still based on some formulas that aren't really, mm, they're just lacking a bit, in my opinion, in terms of trying to optimize, uh, energy intake for endurance athletes.
0: Yeah, no, I think that uh, building on that a little bit, Dina, yeah, I did, uh, I was a part of a test uh on a sports drink and uh they did a 10-week program and every week we were put in a heat chamber actually riding on a bike at 70 percent of our max heart rate and they had multiple temperature sensors took you know blood and urine tests but there was a lead-up battery of tests that were done and we took a look at you know your fat burning and carbohydrate burning at different heart rates and sort of really measured that out and it was fascinating you know the one thing i would tell everyone listening is Um, Almost every sensor that you can use, a treadmill, your watch, they overestimate the calories you're burning. I am completely convinced of that because if it was actually accurate, I would weigh about a pound because I would be (laughs) weight all the time. And I'm pretty stable for the past seven years within probably two or three pounds. Uh, But the amount of hours I work out relative to what it says you're getting burned is not at all near. Like we burn a lot less. To get to the seven or 800 calories an hour that a treadmill might show you, you'd have to be in high zone four for a long time, you know, like <clears> heart rate and you'll see that crossover between the carbohydrates and the fat, that point in time when it's almost 80% carbohydrates. So, uh, but, but that data is helpful because it sort of resets a little bit of, you know, how you think about what's your body doing. And that's why that, you know, sort of what we call that fat burning zone, that zone two, You know, I've taken to, uh, and I think Dave and a lot of really good runners know that you can go for long periods of time at lower effort and build real strong fitness uh, because that fat burning system, when it gets triggered, is a better energy system, right? And so uh, these are some of the subtleties that you don't really fully understand. So that data for us, I guess, you know, one of the things I guess we could say to our listeners is if you are a bit of a geek about this, there is data you can get that will help you think better about what's going on, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it depends on your own body curiosity or physiology, you know, and what your goals are or what your struggles have been from a training perspective or trying to achieve top level fitness, or if you have had uh, goals, specific racing goals or other, you know, Um, pursuits that you have not been able to achieve and you have the means to explore all those fun tests. I guess not all of them are fun per se, but um, just learning what you can about your body because then we can use that information to adapt training programming or nutrition or other elements, recovery or um, other aspects could be revealed, you know, to, to really
1: uh,
2: help um, finesse what you're doing.
1: Yeah, well, so so Dina, let's let's get into a really kind of a, a, a broad question, but maybe a difficult question too. Is you know, in your opinion, looking at the endurance community, um, let's call it marathon plus, um, either in triathlon or endurance swimming or running, what do you think the number one problem? Uh, that you see amongst athletes is that's a reoccurring issue uh, time and time again that people are getting wrong.
2: The number one, I would say uh, and, and of course my my clientele I'm it's kind of biased, right? because people come mm-hmm. to me with some sort of issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I will say of all the issues I'm looking at, uh, GI distress seems mm-hmm. to be the top issue still, and it's been that way for a number of years. Um, So I I would say that's the number one.
0: Tell us more about what you mean by GI distress.
2: Yeah, gastrointestinal distress. I'm sure we've all been there one way or another. Um, So, I mean, what it is, the scope of symptoms and signs we could look at just to give a feel for how we know when we have it. it could be upper GI where we're, Um, maybe having acid reflux. I mean, if we look at the research, they'll even put burping and, you know, some of things that we may not see as that significant. Like I can handle a few burps, Uh, but the more severe GI symptoms or GI distress would be um, abdominal cramping or maybe bloating that's not feeling good, like a lot of tension in the lower abdominals. We could have uh, gas, right? Or um, diarrhea. Of course, the other upper GI issue is vomiting. So those last few are pretty significant and can certainly affect um, what's going to happen next or what we need to decide to do from a hydration and nutrition perspective. Um, And then the reasons that GI stress happen, I mean, it's multifactorial Right, especially when you're looking at the distances that you guys do or the kinds of events you do, um, depending on intensity, weather conditions, altitude, Mm -hmm. the choices of our fueling and hydration, what's in those foods or products. Um, There's a lot of layers there. uh, Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to piece that apart to figure out what's causing what. Absolutely.
0: And so go, go ahead, Joe. Dina, do you finish and
1: follow-up? Yeah, so one question I have is, Dina, do you think that you can train for gastric emptying? Can you train your gut in training in order to better perform on race day?
2: I think absolutely. I mean, we have some science to show that, right? But you're hinting at something important, which is maybe a mistake a number of athletes make is not doing that proper gut training with the same kinds of fuels we plan to use on our event or race day and looking at hydration. Of course, if we could mimic everything that we're going to face on our main day, you know, weather-wise, altitude and all that would be ideal. Um, but we definitely can train the gut to an extent
1: and so, Dina, I mean, sorry, sorry, Joe, I know you're going to ask a question, but i got to ask this because this was, re- it's a, I think it's a it's a funny story. And, and I would love to hear what your comments are on this is I w- was running with a friend years ago and have you ever seen the, the movie Dodgeball? Mm-hmm. It's a stupid comedy. You know, yeah. And, you know, in order to train to, to dodge the ball, the guy would throw wrenches at people. And he says, if you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. You know, it's it's funny. But, you know, and so that what he was doing was in the, in his training is he was eating bean burritos. He was, he was eating a tremendous amount of food that would normally be really difficult to digest and you would never really do on race day. And he said, if you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. And he wanted to train his body by doing things that would be really difficult to, to digest during, during a run. Would would you think that's a reasonable training method?
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) <laughs> i mean maybe there are some elements there i would be more specific though you mm-hmm, know and actually mm-hmm. challenge the body with the things that you think might be in the you know in the <laughs> day's offerings
1: or right that
2: you think you may want or crave or need um mm-hmm. so yeah there's like the amount piece you know like four bean burritos an hour maybe, maybe not. But then there's what's in that particular food. Like, do we have the Mm. hot sauce or not?
1: (laughs) Right, Um, right.
2: Yeah. But I would say from since we, well, I guess, depending on our preference, I mean, carbohydrates typically make up the bulk of our calories during our training and racing. However, we know, the longer we're going, of course, intensity, Um, dependent we can tolerate uh, you know some fats and proteins and like real food so the bean burrito can work for some people um, certainly or the pizza or whatever bacon and things like this Um, it's just we need to look at also what the benefit is perhaps of that kind of food and um, make sure we're putting it in the context uh, as much as we can, and considering intensity, and if it's 100 degrees Fahrenheit out, we may not want bean burritos.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I wouldn't, anyways. <laughs> no, me too. But yeah, uh, so I have like, so many questions. Is the hard thing to do here? One though is a little bit of this idea of uh, under eating versus overeating. eating, um, and. You know, sort of the idea that maybe if I have a little bit less that would be treating me better in these kinds of environments versus making sure I had plenty, you know, eating the day before versus eating during the race and sort of like the whole sort of balance of volume, any sort of advice for our listeners.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you're saying, Joe, more event, race oriented. Yeah,
0: like for rate. a normal day, but like when you're going to go do a big run on a Saturday or you're going to run in a race and, you know, when you know you're going to put more stress on your system than you would normally do.
2: For sure.
0: Would you suggest under eating, not under eating meaning not eating, but just less, like feeling almost yeah. like you need more or not.
2: I know we'll be right. Right. Cause there's the under eating to be safe. Right. Cause we're yeah. scared that the extra pickle or the extra broccoli piece might be too much. There's that worry. And then there's like the over, cause again, we've come from classic carb, carbohydrate loading, which was like eat till you you know your stuff spaghetti,
1: spaghetti dinner exactly. yeah. exactly
2: so there's almost those extremes it still exists a bit um of course I'm not one to just say well do the moderation thing because some of us don't know what that is and we can still put in our own beliefs around well what what is that um so we have to look at what it is we're going to be Enduring that next day. I'm more a fan of, again, like we've done, we've practiced this stuff way before now. So that's something to keep in mind for the last minute folks like, oh gosh, can we, can we think ahead and and practice this day before well in advance of our race or our um, event. uh, So we know what works. Um, But amount-wise, volume-wise, you know, it's like um, you've got to look at what's in these meals. Uh, I certainly like to take up the carbohydrate elements. Uh, uh, I'm going to use a word you're going to you're going to roll your eyes, but like, let's take it up a bit. (laughs) It's like, that's not specific. It might mean eating a little bit more sweet potato or what your rice or something, but it's not stuffing, especially we know now for women uh, carb loading does not work. Uh, I'll just say it like that. It's not as effective as it is in men. So we have some considerations for, again, the, the individual, um, but, you know, a lot of the recommendations are still like don't eat much fat, don't eat fiber, oh, you know, be careful of this and that. And the other thing the day before, it's just mm-hmm. if we haven't practiced that, I, I often see the next day, um, like if even if you think of bowels, you know, if we just took out a whole bunch of fiber and you're used to having fiber
1: mm-hmm. and then you
2: can't do your, you know, your morning Bathroom visit that might then start you off already uncomfortable. So, again, there. I know I'm not giving you an answer, but it's like stuff to think about.
1: Yeah. And one thing I've always thought, you know, with, 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 you know, pre race and, and, you know, typically whatever you'd eat, you just bump it up 10%, 15%, um, and have a a normal diet. Would would you agree? Is that a, a pretty broad, you know, reasonable statement? I
2: love that. Yeah, I've said for some athletes, maybe it's a 25%, but it's that, yeah, 10 to 25, like an extra handful Mm -hmm. on your plate, you know, depending on what it is. Yeah.
0: One of the other subtleties, because we're all sort of, we live a bunch of lives, right? You know, we work, we exercise, most of us are not professionals doing this as our lives. And this balance between what we'll call food and fuel, So there's the food part of our life, you know, it could be tradition. It could be what we reward ourselves with. It could be what makes us feel good. You know, I like pizza. So I'm going to eat pizza. My grandmother used to make it. So I like it. And then there's the fuel piece, which is back to both macronutrients, micronutrients, and thinking about how we run our system better. And do you have advice for people balancing those two? Because, you know, if you you don't want to just have this pure justification of the reason I'm eating it is tradition, and because if you're going to try and fuel, you want to then optimize for that circumstance. Any thoughts on that?
2: You know, I I like for everyone to enjoy food, good. so it's good for us to understand and connect to that and be okay. Like that's a gift and an honor. Right. To enjoy food and not all of us have the means to to have all the foods we want. Right. So we really have to appreciate and and consider that piece. Um, so I, I'm definitely a fan of like connecting with like the intention and the purpose and the enjoyment factor. Um as athletes i think though we can get specific and more purposeful Mm -hmm. of what this food is doing for you and your performance if it's important to you i guess you know there are all levels of athletes um, and some of us just want to go have pure fun it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what the result is but Mm -hmm. i think as athletes we can connect to a little bit more of that purpose around nutrition without making it stressful or restrictive or diet you know it's like this is my oomph that I'm you know and really work with that and and cherish what that can do for us it's kind of a yeah, woo-woo good. answer
0: no but no I like that that's good
1: but I like that yeah, and it, it, there's got to be that purpose. Um, otherwise, I enjoy chocolate cake and I would eat it every breakfast. Um, but it, there's, it doesn't serve me. It, it just doesn't. Um, it just doesn't. But, you know, Dina, De- 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 you ended up uh, touching on just a, a few minutes ago about uh, carb loading and, and, and women. And so, so what you're telling me is that women aren't just little men. Um, what you're telling me is that there's a specific diet and that uh, there's a definite approach when it comes to female athletes versus male athletes and of course this has made the news a lot in the last decade and um, you know tell us a little bit more about that approach because of course it's true um, but I, I want to hear some of your thoughts on, on, on women in sport and how are you know the, the, uh, the, the nutrition and the, and the diet advice is now very different.
2: Thank you, Dave, gold star for bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, I think because so much of our sports nutrition recommendations have come from, you know, if we look at the body of research uh, and the subjects in those research studies, young male, you know, college age males make up a, a good portion of those research studies where we've got those uh, recommendations. but in the last ten years, more so in the last five, this appreciation and realization that women's physiology is unique and our um, sex hormones. Of course, we've known this all along. Our hormones are different uh, Mm -hmm. and, and fluctuate quite a bit. But what does that mean as athletes and for our performance and training, nutrition, recovery and so forth? Um, so we're learning things like, yeah, how our bodies for menstruating women, how the different phases of the menstrual cycle can affect nutrient turnover or how we burn fats and carbohydrates. Uh, so it's really working with understanding where we are in our menstrual cycles for those who have naturally um, natural menstrual cycles understanding where we're where we are and how those hormones can affect uh, training ability nutrient needs energy needs and then even as we age into perimenopause postmenopause considering that there's some other newer findings there's still a lot we don't know but at least we're kind of on the cusp of uh, seeing that there is more we need to know and I think it's so exciting that I could probably uh, beg you guys to come back or have me back so we could talk just about that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and
1: yeah. you
0: know, I think it's yeah. good. I think that there are topics like that, which is another one connected and we can come back to, but is this idea of body size, right? So there's, there's two big issues, I think, in the world around food. There's a, the female and the male, how different we are, and then there's the body size and that we have some judgment about, you know, the size of how big we should be and how that would affect our nutrition needs and that there are different body types who have different nutrition needs and there's no judgment that should be. And there is certainly enough people who have eating disorders uh, and you don't even know it sometimes because of just the way that you go about it. And so balancing that out, I think the more we talk about it, the better, right? Because then we don't, hide from it and we can address it. Um, Yeah, any thoughts on, you know, the second subject that we need to make sure we cover here?
2: Yeah, it's so important, I think, just this more inclusive um, aspect of sport and who, who you are as an athlete or who is an athlete, that it's not it's not the certain body size that you have to fit into to be an ultra runner or an ultra athlete or any kind of athlete. Um, So I, this is also something that's long overdue, right? And and Mm -hmm. things like diet culture don't help that aspect that you need to look a certain way in order to achieve certain things. So I think, um, you know, even even your podcast, right, and just bringing that attention that we have all kinds of feats that we can achieve, and same with who achieves those uh, pursuits. It's, it's not a skin color or a body size or a country you have to be from, you know, that, that it's all humans that can do these amazing
1: things. Mm-hmm. So, so, Dina, you, let's you jump a little bit more from, you know, we, we talked about macronutrients. Let's talk about micronutrients uh, for a little bit. And, you know, one topic that's come up a lot in, in the endurance community is really how many electrolytes do we really need to be consuming during activity? Uh, of course, you know, you could be running in the desert or you could be running in in, uh, you know, cool up here in Canada. Um, and it's going to be very, very different. Um, but, you know, is, you know, there was a the book, I think it was called Waterlogged by, by Noakes that came out years ago. And that really transitioned a lot of people into thinking, okay, you know what, you really don't need to be taking in any sodium. Do you have any thoughts and theories, um, any wisdom that you can pass along to our, our guests? Because I know it's a really confusing topic for most.
2: It is, um, yeah. I and I made my way through that book a number of years ago too, so I'm familiar with it. Um, I mean, there there are a few issues that we do have to consider. So some of this might be obvious, but um, like you mentioned, Dave, if we're in hot, humid weather versus cooler weather, that can affect our sweat production. So we have fluid losses, right, depending on intensity and weather conditions and some other factors. Um, But then we have what's in our sweat. So you're referring to the electrolyte composition, namely sodium, which is the electrolyte we lose the most of in our sweat. So there's that theory that, um, you know, we can look at some data like, eh, you know what, these people survived Survived is the key word Survived these conditions with just water and they made it fine. They didn't die. Um, But we can look at other conditions where if we change that word from survival to actually optimally performing, I will argue that taking in appropriate amounts of electrolytes specifically sodium can actually help us with thermoregulation um you know replenishment of some of that uh, sodium and fluid that we are losing especially for those of us who are heavy sweaters and salty sweaters so i'm not on either end like you don't need them or else you must take them all the time i think it is this individual piece again that we come back to so, you know, like, Dave, how sweaty are you in January doing your 60K day versus <laughs> in July is there a difference? And then what are your losses? And then what kind of training block are you in? And what's your daily nutrition like? Because those factors all have to become um, part of the story right. when we're trying to fine-tune.
1: Absolutely. And, and I, I think one of the, you know, comments I get often is, is it's really difficult to find product that, okay, if I need to increase my sodium content, but I don't need my potassium or, or, oh, okay, I, I need a lot of magnesium or I, I need, it's really hard to find a product that has kind of the right amounts of all those things all the time. Um, is, do you, do do you find that there's any blood work, any tests that, you know, one can do in order to find, find a, a better solution for them?
2: Uh, I mean, I, blood work maybe not quite as much, but we can do some measurement of uh, your sweat sodium to mm. And that's, uh, you know, there's different ways to do that and there's some debate about around the um, efficacy and things, but if we have the right equipment, um, you know, we can look at the sodium piece and dial that part in and know how much you lose per liter of sweat. Um, So that, that is helpful, but then we have to understand how sweaty you are in varying conditions. Um, But yeah, I know I do like if we are finding um, or making our own products (laughs) or, or purchasing a product, I do like the more complete uh, electrolyte formula that. Um, does have some magnesium and calcium and of course the sodium piece is pretty important and the potassium versus just pounding salt uh, or just drinking you know a solution with table salt in it like we we can benefit especially the longer um, Mm -hmm. duration we need I guess the other thing to add though is what we're eating you know, because we can right. eat some salty foods or some other things to get our other electrolytes.
0: Chips here and there, huh? Uh, so let's talk about racing a little bit. And, uh, you know, there have been more companies who have designed and created lots of formats for us. We got goos, we got shot blocks, we got bars, we have liquid calories, we have, you know, we wouldn't even be able to list all of the different variations, right? And and so there is, of course, as you stated, I think it's always good to think about, have you ever tried them before or before try it in a race? I mean, unless you're in desperate conditions, you have nothing else to eat, you would try anything. But any advice, you know, other than the try it ahead of time, like how to balance like, well, maybe I should have that real piece of pie that Dave likes versus my seventh gel or I'm only on a liquid calorie thing as I go along, because it it is one of the few sports where we have all of this stuff that's been designed not to truly look like food, but serve our nutritional needs. Any input for our audience?
2: Yes. (laughs) I mean, again, this is uh, something like Like you're saying, Joe, there are so many options, whether it's engineered or we just look at like all the, you know, whole food options we have. Um, But I think it's also important to for newer athletes to explore and know that you're not confined to just do energy gels or what maybe the sports nutrition companies are making you believe that this one product is the only thing that will solve all your, you know, needs. Um, so I think it's great for athletes to explore if they're newer to endurance sport or ultra. Like we we've, we've have so many options that are from the grocery store versus the sports nutrition um, company. So that can be I mean, again, so many. So there's, you know, dried fruits. Uh, we can make our own bars, our, our own energy bites, um, dates, things like this. I mean, pickles, right? I mean, there's a lot of options. So um, thinking of your own gut tolerance for the more experienced athletes. So if you know you've tried certain kinds of foods or sports nutrition and It hasn't worked for you in terms of GI distress or other negatives, then we can um, pursue other options to try and be more gentle or modify that composition. It also could be an amount issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not anti-sports nutrition, but I'm certainly not the sport dietitian who's pushing, you know, for energy gels an hour, because I think we have a lot of other options. Some athletes do well with the liquid nutrition all-in-one formulas. I don't see that too commonly, you know, and so I think if we can find, um, mixed sources, meaning, uh, if we can tolerate some solid food in, in little nibbles along the way and it tastes good, we're not going to get tired and tired of it in, mm-hmm. you know, two seconds later, then that's another option. Um, there are a lot of great homemade options for, you know, rice concoctions or our own energy bars, things like this. But yeah, so I don't know that I answered that question super well, but yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of opportunity.
0: You know, what I found, actually, one of the things we sometimes ignore a little bit is we're getting feedback often as we're eating. uh, And we sort of ignore it. Like, you know, there's a, we won't name a sports drink, but there's one that we all probably have had before. And you're on your fifth one and it just starts to taste terrible. You're like, okay, Mm -hmm. I just cannot drink this anymore. I think that's the body sort of saying to you, okay, you need something else. You know, we figured out that this isn't working, so stop, because otherwise it would taste great. And I think that there's like that time where you just get into the aid station and you just want oranges. Like, I didn't want orange at the last one. The body is, the brain is pretty smart and it's looking and assessing, mm-hmm. and maybe subconsciously, whatever the system that's working. So sometimes there are signals and we ignore them and they're they're, they're not just random and they're not coincidental at all.
2: Agree, that intuitive sense that, yeah, if you're craving something salty or sweet or savory or whatever, that there's something to that. And so I'm always a big fan, you know, of the plan B or the plan C, which is like, well, let's go with (laughs) what your gut says, right? Mm -hmm. Or what your mind is saying to the gut or the other way around. Um, but yeah, that listening piece, and that's something really important that we can practice in our long training days.
0: Right. You know, mm-hmm. we might
2: have a plan, but if it's not working, don't force it. What's the mm-hmm. plan B? And then having those options.
1: No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about fat fat adapted diets and keto diets. I mean, you know, it's 2021. Um, they started becoming, I think a little bit more popular five years ago, three years ago, they, they, they really got popular. And and then we've seen some incredible performances, uh, by these fat adapted athletes. You know, can you maybe explain to our guests what fat adapted means and why would some of these athletes you want to, to go down the keto route?
2: Yeah, Dave, I mean, fat adaptation, um, when we think of that, it's important to know that the body primarily has two fuel sources to burn during exercise. I'll just say exercise. So we have fats and and carbohydrates. Uh, and I'll just leave it simple like that instead of going into all the aspects or details unless, unless you want to do that. But uh, fat Adaptation means that we teach the body through our training and our nutrition strategies to burn more of our calories from stored fat versus depleting or tapping into our carbohydrate stores. And the reason to teach the body to become more fat adapted is because we have thousands and thousands more stored calories from fat than we do from glycogen or our carbohydrate uh, availability. So there's like, uh, you know, maybe a couple thousand calories worth of, of glycogen that we can store and use, but that depending how fast we're going, how hard we're going, or our metabolic health, we can easily quickly deplete glycogen stores. So the benefit of fat adaptation is teaching the body um, to pull from our fat stores. Even if we're super lean, we can be more fat adapted. Um, And when we translate that to performance, the thinking or theory or or application is well if i'm burning a lot of my stored fat and i'm preserving my glycogen i'm not depleting it i'm not going to bonk as quickly i also likely don't have to eat 400 calories of sugar an hour because i'm i'm not burning it as much and so um I guess part of the beauty of fat adaptation is it's when we put people on the metabolic cart and look at how they burn their fuels, uh, can run at a pretty high intensity and still be mobilizing fat for Mm -hmm. your energy. Um, There's some downsides to this, but uh, that's sort of the draw to Things like ketogenic diets or low carb diets, because that fueling pattern, how we eat every day, teaches the body then to not be dependent on so much carbohydrate. Um, again, there's some, you know, negatives or things we have to really pay attention to if we're in that strategy. Yeah,
0: and, and I think that you know, it's always worth sort of experimenting, like you said beforehand, and see if it works. I. I tend to think, you know, I love the stories of, uh, you know, a runner who, you know, never ate, I don't know who it was, but one of the professional women off the runner. She never ate Doritos, but ate them throughout a whole 100 mile race and never ate them again. But that was what worked for her, you know. And, and so sometimes it is both the prep and sometimes it's the moment and seeing how, how you know, being just more attuned, I think, uh, to what's happening. Uh, and how the system's working. And it does take practice. Eating's as much a practice as the running or the swimming or the biking mm-hmm. or those others, right? Uh, and we usually just eat, you know, sort of a, oh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, but then we change it into, oh, and for a race or some other activity.
2: Yeah, I, you know, and I should add, like, you can still become more fat adapted without having to resort to a ketogenic diet or a low mm-hmm. carb diet. I mean, our, I'm sure you've probably mentioned this before, but just like our training itself makes us pretty good fat burners. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we can override that a bit with our nutrition choices, but I, d- I didn't want to come across saying everybody should be mm. keto in order to <laughs> be the best fat mm-hmm. burner um, because there are some concerns there, but, but to your point, question dave i mean that is uh still an appeal for a lot of ultra athletes um Mm -hmm. it just needs to be if we're going to do that i'd say like give me a call or like work with somebody because i've seen a lot of athletes fall apart um missing details of you know to more construct your your pattern and approach uh so we're not missing micronutrients and overall calories and other things
1: right and like like most people i find too and but maybe even more so in the endurance community everybody's all or nothing and they go for they go for the the the, you know the weight way too too far of a run, way too many mountains way too whatever and so yeah they go from you know a balanced diet to ketosis and um within a month and they're and their training fails, and they end up getting a stress fracture or something. So, so maybe let's talk about that a bit. Maybe, but uh, you know, when it comes to injury and stress fractures, how much do you think that that has to do with our our diet or or, or lack of maybe parts of our our, our our nutritional balance?
2: Yeah, I think nutrition plays a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm in the sense that. Oftentimes, when we see someone with multiple stress fracture history or bone injuries, um, a, a lot of times it comes down to uh, inadequate calories, mm-hmm. to be honest, Or yeah. you're just not putting in enough for the body to take care of all the systems of the of the body. Right. So this um, bone integrity. Uh, you know, there's constant bone remodeling going on and bone turnover. Mm-hmm. So that that has been shown to be connected. And so that's regardless of the kind of diet we want to follow. It's just like a lack of calories coming in. Of course, there could be some things with vitamin D and calcium and magnesium, protein and so forth. But, uh, you know, I'll start with just calories. So if it's yeah, we just need to eat a couple more snacks or, you know, bulk up, whatever it is. Um, and then we can finesse the, you know, the details.
0: I think we've covered a lot of this, Dina, but I wouldn't mind if you could just for, before we end up wrapping up, a little bit of the basics as to someone who's new, who's sort of getting into this. What would be like your three pieces of advice you would give them as they sort of venture into you know, going a little farther, a little harder, sort of evolving, you know, sort of the way they live and the way they train before they would come see you and because they come see you a little bit later kind of thing. But in the beginning, what are those like, what's the general advice you'd give someone?
2: Uh, so I'd say one thing is to, <laughs> I'm sorry if this sounds dorky, but it's like really Uh, paying attention to how you feel. All right. Mm -hmm. I know we can say that it's like, well, what does that mean? But really connecting um, if you, and and this could be even on a a rest day, you know, just like what you're eating, how do you feel energy wise, fatigue wise, stomach wise, brain power? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if, if something, if you're feeling off or on or ups and downs i mean that that can be a sign we need some shifting right or some optimization um so it's like learn your body uh secondly would be you know it doesn't help hurt it doesn't hurt to to make notes so a lot of us keep our training logs you know we want to know how far we ran how fast or whatever but i would say Take notes of how you're eating around your training. Because if you have a kind of a crappy run or a crappy bike or whatever, I mean, that could relate to what you've done prior, hydration-wise, nutrition-wise, or some other things. So I think just making some simple notes is helpful. Um, So there's two things. Uh, If I had to say a third thing, Joe, I would just say don't feel like you have to follow one diet to be perfect, that there is so much freedom and flexibility and room to be a strong athlete. Uh, so being careful to, to fall into a diet trap.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Dina, you're wonderful. You're, you're really a treat. Um, this has been fantastic. Um, all these nuggets of wisdom that you've given both Joe and I and, and all of our guests. Um, we can't thank you enough. But you know, when you're, you know, gifting the world and, and helping support us, you know, one question we want to ask you is, you know, what's what's your chasing tomorrow? What's what's next for for you? Um, I know we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're all we're all doing this together. We're getting through this. This has been a been a been a long year. But what's what's next for, for Dina Griffin?
2: Oh, yeah, thank you, guys. It's been an honor to be with you. Um, when I think of chasing tomorrow, you know, I, I have to say what I come to is like, how am I living my best today so that I can show up tomorrow to keep building on that. So for me, it's it's engagement, uh, it's it's learning, and it's also accepting the challenges and maybe the hard times and really learning from those opportunities. So, I mean, I put that into my own training and racing as well. But just generally, when I think of that, it's like I'm I'm giving the most to my today that I can because this is all I have is right now. And then hopefully tomorrow I get to repeat this and then some.
0: That's great. Well, That's beautiful. We uh, we wish you the best with that. I do think we have a topic that needs uh, repeat visits, so uh, mm-hmm. we're going to have you back on this in a in a period of time when we can build on the foundation and uh, pull some questions from our listeners that we could answer for them. Because you know, sort of as our fuel system goes, our whole system is going to go, and we want that all to be as best as possible for That's right. us as well as everyone listening and uh, develop a good relationship with food and life uh, can really work in our favor.
2: Well, thank you both. It's been a pleasure and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful.
0: All right, thanks Dina, have a great day. We'll talk to you thank soon. Thank you Dina. Thank you. Hey Dave, feels like we just waited too long to have an episode focused on nutrition. What a great guest Dina was. I learned a lot and know there's a lot more to learn about nutrition and endurance athletics. You know, she brought such a practical approach to thinking about fueling and how our systems work. I just loved it, and, and I want her back on this show soon. Hmm. Okay, well there you have it. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com, and they've given us a discount code for our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. And we would greatly appreciate it if you could follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. And as always, a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.